get into uh, Genesis chapter 24, let me just address a matter from last week's sermon. Uh, last Sunday, after I had finished preaching, a couple of people came up to, to speak to me at the end when I was standing at the door, and they said, okay, I think there's been a mistake in the sermon. Uh, I had said last week that uh, this command here, that Abraham has given to his servant to go and find a wife for Isaac. Do you remember what I said about that? I said that this was Abraham's last words. Remember that? I said that uh, this was Abraham's dying. This was made in his deathbed. This is the last thing he did. And people came up to me at the end and said, Andy, you got this one wrong, son. That's not right. That uh, You get into chapter 25, and what do you read? Uh, Abraham marries another woman, and uh, then he finally dies. Okay, let me address that. What we've got to remember is that Scripture is not always arranged strictly chronologically. Okay? And that is the case here. Um, these chapters that we've got in Genesis are not arranged... Uh, strictly according to time, but they are arranged according to their main theme. What's their main theme? This is, this is material that is arranged not strictly chronologically, but strictly covenantally. Now, do you see how that works? You know, Abraham, on his deathbed, he commands um, this servant, go and find a wife for Isaac. And because... This command is absolutely essential to the covenant. This is such a huge command. What does the author do? The author deals with that, and the command, and how that works out, before he goes back and deals with what's happened in the past, where before he goes into chapter 25 and deals with Abraham's death and this marriage that he has had in the past. Now, that actually becomes kind of obvious in what we've read tonight and, and what we're going to look at. Now, think about this. When the servant, at the end of this chapter, just at the end of what Paul read there, when the servant comes back to Canaan with Rebekah, who's not kicking about? I mean, Abraham is not on the scene at all there. He is not mentioned, and it is emphasized that it is now Isaac who's in view. Isaac is the one who is living in his, his, his mother's tent. Okay, there's that. Also in the passage of scripture we've just read, think about this, we are told that all of Abraham's wealth has now passed on to Isaac here. Then when Rebekah comes back to this land and she asks, see that guy there? She says of Isaac, see that man? Ask the servant, who is that man? What does Abraham's servant say? Abraham's servant says, well, now that man, Isaac, now he is my master. You see? So this is not necessarily exactly chronological. It is arranged according to the most important theme in these verses, the covenant. And we can stand by what we saw last week. That those were Abraham's last words, certainly according to Scripture. And Abraham was faithful to God until his dying day. Okay. 
enough about last week's sermon. Let's, let's, let's get into tonight's sermon. And let's look at this conclusion of, a, dare I say, a quite a sort of romantic tale, a certainly a, an exciting uh, episode involving uh, Rebecca and Isaac. Now, uh, please have your Bibles open, because we'll need to, to look at a few verses here. So have Genesis 24 open. Here's a first point. <clears throat> Let's consider the urgency of the servant. The urgency. That's our first point. The urgency of the servant. Okay. Right. Let's remind ourselves of where we are in the story. Now, we know that Abraham has spoken to the servant, charged him with finding a wife for Isaac. Then, do you remember what happened? The servant moved to or went away to, to Abraham's homeland and do you remember the joy? Do you remember the joy? You know, God has provided the servant with just the most immense answer to prayer. And it is just the most beautiful woman, the perfect woman that God has provided. And then we left things last week with what I just, it's just a lovely idea, the last verse that we had last week. Because it, 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 it says that, it's in verse 28, that the girl... You know, with this proposal of marriage, what does she do? Where does she take the proposal? Well, she runs home. She's so excited. She runs home to her mother's house. Effectively, we're told she runs home and she tells her mom. Isn't that great? Well, no sooner do we start this story tonight and get back into it than we are confronted with someone new. We've got a new character to think about. Rebecca's brother, Laban. Now, Depending on how well you know the Bible, you might know the name of Laban, and you might know of his later greed with Jacob. Well, I think that that is actually hinted at here, that sort of nasty element of Laban's character. Because what happens is that, that, that Rebecca runs home to tell her family, you know, to tell her all about this marriage proposal, and her brother sees her coming, and he sees, oh, he sees the nose ring. And he sees all the wealth that she's been given by the servant. Do you see what Laban does? He, he, he thinks, right, this is on a good thing here. So he runs to the well, he gets the servant, and he brings the servant back to the family. Now, that's fine. It's what happens next that we need to focus on, okay? I want you to think about the state that this servant would have been in. Now think about what we've just said. He has just watched his, or just seen his master, the person that he has served faithfully and lovingly for a long, long time. He's seen him on his deathbed, his deathbed command, right? Then he's had to travel, to obey the command, he's had to travel a long way, right? Then he's had the ups and the downs with this, 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 meeting this girl, Rebecca, at the well. So do you see the point here? This servant, at this precise moment, is weary, and he's exhausted, and he is, he is surely, after all of these, this traveling and the stress, surely he is hungry? And then look what we are told in verse 33. Look what he says. He says, I will not eat until I've told you what it is that I have to say. I'm not, oh, okay, you're, you're giving me food. Thank you, Laban. I, I don't want it. Get out of my sight. I, I, I have to tell you. 
There's something I've I got to say to you at this moment. Do you see there's a sort of, he's frantic, almost. There's a real sense of urgency about this guy at this precise moment. Now, why? Why here now? The servant confronted by Rebecca's family. Why is he so insistent? Think about this. Um, The way that we communicate as people uh, within the four walls of our house, our houses have changed over the years, hasn't it? This This is the voice of experience here. If your spouse, years ago, if your spouse wanted you to get something for them from the other end of the house, what would they do? Years ago, they simply would shout, you know, I've heard it before, Andy! Will you bring me through some chocolate, please? Okay, that would happen years ago. Now, that changed in about the sort of 1990s. And if we had a, a particularly lazy spouse, uh, what would they do if they wanted something? They might sort of sit on the couch and text away. Andy, can you bring me through some chocolate? Well, uh, in recent times, I've kind of discovered that as your family grows, there's another method that your spouse can use that uh, they can use the kids. You know, that you're at the other end of the house and suddenly the door opens and there's one of your kids and they're sort of frantic and they're bursting and they say, dad, 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 dad. And you know, okay, they've got a message from their mother. Dad, dad, dad. You know, mum wants chocolate. Something like that. You know, they're bursting to say this message, okay? Well, I know that's daft. I know it's daft. But do you see that that is the sort of thing that is going on here with this servant? Do you see that? I mean, he is refusing food. He is putting everything to to the side here. Why? Because he's absolutely bursting with a message. He's got a message for this family from his master. And he can see he is bursting with this because he can see the importance of, of this message for the future of the covenant, for the future descendants of the covenant. So forget about food. Get rid of everything else. I've got something to say to you. You see? My friends, do you see that that there is a picture of how we should be as we go into the next seven days ahead? Do you see that? You know, that we are effectively as Christians in exactly the same situation as this servant. We've got a message. In fact, guess what? We've got a message from our master. We've got a message, even today, a message that affects the future descendants of the covenant. There should be for us, when we consider our message, there should be the same sort of pressing urgency pushing us out there. In fact, let me be a wee bit more specific than that. Perhaps we should see here the need for a particular urgency if we are confronted by people who are nearly there. People, a particular urgency if people are nearly convinced. Now, do you see that that's what's happening in Genesis 24? You know, that's why the servant here is, is, is reacting with, with such urgency. He, he can see, he's talking to these people, and he can see that Rebecca is so close 
to adhering to God's will. Remember all the, the qualifications and requirements? Do you remember them? You know, you, you know she, she had to be from Abraham's land. And tick that box. She had to be from Abraham's people. Tick that box. She had to be the, the, the girl that the, the, the God wanted. Tick that box. She's so close. She's so close. There's just one obstacle, isn't there? Will she or won't she come back to the land of Canaan? And he can see that. In front of the family, he can see she's so close. And so there is this added urgency. Friends, let me ask you this. Are there people you know in your life just now who perhaps even, just perhaps, are a bit more open to the gospel just now than they used to be? Are there? Are there people in your life and experience just now that, that perhaps God is working in? You know, people that used to be so closed, people who would never sort of think about coming to church, never ask questions, but people perhaps who are now maybe even close to, to moving to the promised land of, of Jesus Christ? Are there people like that? Surely you see the urgency? Do you see that the, the need that, that you have to, 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 to get to those people, to spend more time with those people? Really, you know, love those people. Speak to those people about Jesus. It's pressing. We see in the servant, because of the covenant of grace, a real urgency. Given the fact that we've just gone in there and prayed about our witness, given what is in front of us here just now, maybe there is no better phrase for us to have ringing in our ears, on our hearts, than those verses of verse 33. Take those into the week. I will not eat. I will do nothing until I have told you. Until I have told you what? I have to say. There's urgency here. Urgency of the servant. Okay. Right. Let's move on in the chapter. And let's consider, secondly, the persuasion of the speech. That's the same. We've seen the urgency. Secondly, the persuasion of the speech. In the early 16th century, the famous Protestant reformer John Calvin wrote a letter and he wrote it to his friend and fellow preacher, a man called William Farrell. And in the letter that Calvin wrote, he commended his friend for the urgency and the sort of gravity that he attached to his evangelism and his preaching of the gospel. Commended him for that. But Calvin, at the same time, in the same letter, rebuked this man for the harshness that he showed while doing it. He said, you know, it's fantastic, Farrell, that you are showing such urgency and insisting that, that people see the glory of Jesus Christ. But at the same time, let's not have this, the severity, the harshness and the coldness that goes along with it. Now, that's quite interesting, isn't it? Because that is the similar sort of mistake that, that we often make. Now, we fall into the trap of assuming that those two things just sit together, don't we? It's almost like we assume 
that an urgency in gospel proclamation or evangelism must go alongside a sort of real harshness. That if you're going to be urgent, you know, if you're going to speak and insist, then you rush to talk about hell. First thing you talk about. You know, you talk about the, the, you know, the, the consequences of sin. That You go straight there immediately. The, the way you do it becomes severe. Now, that is not necessarily the case. And I think we see that in Genesis chapter 24. See, look, the servant refuses the food. We get that. And he's, he's desperate to speak. He's like, please, look, forget. I don't want to eat. Let me speak to you, to the family. And the family say, okay, speak. What do you have to say? And what the servant does is he sort of recounts everything from the command that Abraham gave to him. And he, he tells the family all about the well and his prayer to God. And then Rebecca comes out. Now, Here's the thing that I want us to notice and think about. Please hear this. In this urgency, this servant isn't haphazard, nor is he harsh as he recounts these events. Instead, think about this. What the servant does here when he speaks to the family is he sort of reorders or he reshapes these events here in order to do what? In order to persuade that family that they should release Rebecca to the promised land. I'll say that again, because it really is one of the most important things here. The servant isn't haphazard. He's not harsh. Instead, he sort of reorders, he reshapes, he remolds all of the events in order to convince these people, to persuade these people, please release Rebecca to the promised land. Now, think about how we see that. Look at the speech, if you've got your Bibles open. Look at verse 34, please. 34. Look how he convinces them. It's genius, is what it is. First of all, the servant begins by emphasizing Abraham's wealth. Maybe, who knows, but maybe he's seen something of sort of Laban's taste for the finer things in life. Maybe he's seen that. So what does he do? He tells the family all about how wealthy Abraham is. Not only that, he says, see all that wealth. It's now in the hands of this guy that that your daughter, that your sister might be married to. Do you see it? Try to convince them. Tells them about Abraham's wealth. They know what he does. He goes from that to appealing to their heart and their sense of sort of family values. You know, he says, look, Abraham is not just looking for for any woman at all for for his son. That Abraham wants a wife for Isaac from amongst his own people. So he appeals to their sense of family. Then, what's the next thing? How does he convince them? How does he persuade them? He appeals to their piety. Doesn't he? He says to these people, look, God's got this. God has instigated this. It's God that has led me to Rebecca. And then he he finally finishes it all off by urging in verse 49 for these men, this family, to make a decision about this. Do you see what I'm talking about here? Do you see it? This servant is determined to persuade these people So he reorders this account to convince them. Now, this is what I want us to think about and get our heads around. 
just as we saw in our first point about urgency, that that urgency must have an impact on our witness this week. What we're seeing here about persuasion must do the same. Because we have talked a lot about evangelism (laughs) since we started the, the series in the book of Acts. We've talked a lot about this. But what is it that we are trying to do as Christians in evangelism? Sometimes it's almost like we think, well, if I can just tell them that I go to church, then we're like, right, okay, the, the evangelism box, and that's, that's it. You know, if I can just mention something, just the word about Jesus, just something, anything, any sentences, then I can relax and that box is ticked. Do you see tonight that that is not what we are trying to do? Do you see that what we are supposed to do as Christians is to try and persuade people of the glory of Jesus Christ. We are trying to convince people through the Holy Spirit, through the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, that's what we see in the New Testament. Time and time again, look, read Acts 17, read Acts 18, read Acts 19, and what you will see is the Apostle Paul spending all of his energy, all of his time, desperately, desperately trying to convince people of the merits and the truth of the gospel. Now, let me add a caveat. Don't get me wrong. We must never try and water down the gospel. We must never try and sort of dilute the consequences of sin or the need for repentance. We must never try and manipulate people. We must never try and sort of bully people. But what we should do, as we see from the servant here, this week do this. Consider the character of the people that you're trying to reach. Consider the situation that they are in at that stage of your life. This is what this servant is doing. And then take shape your gospel preparation on account of that. We see here eh, the persuasion, the persuasion of the speech. So the urgency and the persuasion. Third and final point, let's consider the hesitancy of the sibling. Hesitancy. Hesitancy. Now, um, my wife and I uh, listen occasionally to a 1970s folk artist called Nick Drake. You may or may not have heard of Nick Drake. I don't suppose that matters at all. But in one of his songs, uh, Nick Drake, he, he sings about the way he believes the human mind will perceive something in the evening very differently to the way that they will perceive and see the same situation in the light of the next day. Whether that is true generally or not, I don't suppose it matters. But it is certainly what we find here in Genesis 24. Because haven't heard in such detail from the servant, having heard that full speech about everything that's happened, Laban and Rebecca's dad, Bethuel, they're they're totally convinced by all of this. You know, they realize that, 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 okay, 
right, God is in charge of this. God isn't, God wants Rebecca to go to, to Canaan to live and to marry this chap. They're completely convinced by it. And we see the sort of, the night end with them drinking and eating and they are praising God. But as Nick Drake would possibly suggest, the next morning, do you see, do you follow it? Things are a wee bit different. Because Laban again and um, Rebecca's mother, when they hear that the servant wants to take Rebecca away immediately, they put the, the anchors down and, and, and they say, whoa, no, please no. They put the brakes on the whole thing. The culture at that time would have suggested that a bride-to-be in that circumstance would have had a huge, big, elaborate send-off. And you can see the family thinking, well, if she goes immediately, we are not going to get this opportunity to do that. Or this, is, this is not right. We do not want her to... Do you see what they ask for? They say, we want an extra 10 days with Rebecca. Now, folks, what we're confronted with there is the important issue of hesitancy in regard to the covenant of grace. Hesitancy. And before I go to where you might think I'm going with this, can I say to you that this idea of hesitancy is a real problem for Christians. It's a problem for Christians here tonight, isn't it? Hesitancy. See, like this family in Genesis 24, As Christians, we can know what God's will is, can't we? We can know what God wants for us in our life and how he wants us to behave. But again, like this family, what we can do is delay with that, can't we? You know, let's say God, we know God wants us to put particular sins away. We know that. Like here, what we do is we clutch and hold those sins too long. We linger on those things. And we delay. Now, I want to say to you as as Christians tonight, God does not want that sort of hesitancy from you. I want to say, even even delayed obedience is ultimately and always disobedience. Isn't it? But then, perhaps more obviously, we see here the danger of hesitancy for those who are um, in here and who aren't Christians. The danger of hesitancy for you. You can correct me if I'm wrong about this, but isn't it true that many people who aren't saved, particularly those who are brought up in the church, that they know in their heart of hearts, not only does God exist, but they know in their heart of hearts that the gospel is true. They know this, but they put off accepting Jesus Christ. Isn't that true? That people say, yes, I, 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 I intend eventually to become a Christian, but, but not yet. You see, there's hesitancy for those who are unsaved. 
And I just want to close tonight. This is, this is it. This is how we land. This is how we close with a reminder of what, what we are taught in Scripture. And that is that the door to salvation is not always open. And boy, do we get that wrong. Don't we? I mean, the way that we present the gospel and our sort of lackluster indifference to it, it is as though we think as long as you come to Jesus at some stage, and we think, okay, that the gospel is open to everyone until they are on their deathbed. Yeah. But that's not what the Bible teaches us. Jesus, he says in, in Revelation chapter 2, now he is speaking about Jezebel, who was a horrible woman. And he says this about Jezebel. Jesus says, I gave her time to repent but she was unwilling. I gave her time to repent. Do you see? See the implication there? The, the, the opportunity is gone. I've given her time to repent, but that time is gone. Think about Luke and, and Jesus again in the parable of, of the great banquet. What does Jesus say? He says the master is going to get up from his feet. He's going to rise and he is going to... He's going to close the door. And people are going to be outside and they're going to be wanting to get in, but the opportunity is past. They will not be allowed in. Do you see, there are people who, who might, yes, think there must be something in this, but I want the time just now. I want, okay, I might become a Christian later on. That's my intention, but just now I want time for myself. I'll think about it later. Do you see that that opportunity might not be there. Do you see that? And so I say to the Christian, surely that adds fuel to the fire for our urgency, doesn't it? Doesn't that add to a desire we have to go out from here and persuade people? I don't want food. I want to tell you something. And I say that the person who isn't a Christian in here tonight, there is, in the gospel of Jesus Christ, there is immediate forgiveness from your sin. Let me say that again. There is immediate forgiveness available in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Immediate cleansing, righteousness before God, immediately. But there is also in the gospel... Because of our sin, the greatest temptation to think, no, I'll put this off. There is the temptation to delay and to be hesitant. Friend, I say to you tonight, do not do that, okay? Unlike this family that you're reading of in Genesis 24, but like Rebecca, you say tonight, yes, yes, okay, now I will go. I will go to the promised land of Jesus Christ. And if you do that, like Rebecca, you will meet there the man, the son of man that God has identified for you. And you will be able to say with Isaiah the prophet, my maker is my husband. The Lord Almighty is his name. Friend.
do not. Do not delay. Let's pray.